0: we got a show for you. I've no idea what we'll do. Welcome my friends to this charming tableau. Have we got a show for you. This week's episode of Strangely and Friends, the podcast. My name is Strangely, and I will be your Strangely for the rest of this podcast. Look, stop talking about the coffee cup. There, I've commented on something in the current zeitgeist. Now, let us speak of it no more. (laughs) I've got a great episode for you this week. I got to sit down with my dear friend Donato Faragate. I really hope I'm pronouncing that right and talk about magic, specifically stage magic. So stay tuned for that. But for now, let's get cracking on with the show. Strangely recommends in 200 words or less, including these 11.
1: Who, who imposed this rule? Does this aside count? Fiddlesticks.
0: Speed Racer. My joy in this film is pure and unalloyed. There are a few perfect and delightful films that come close to portraying the sensory overload of nonsense that whirls inside my own head. This is one of them. The candy-coated hyper-reality of the world the Wachowski siblings were able to create is staggering, even if the effects look a bit dated now. I still have vivid memories of walking out of my first screening, buying a ticket, and walking straight back in to watch it again. This remains the only film I've ever done that for. Only 84 words left. And I haven't even mentioned the cast. Emil Hirsch, Christina Ricci, John Goodman, and Susan Sarandon are all in this, and they knock it out of the park. The art design is equally on point, and the, for lack of a better term, Carfu, is thrilling to watch. If you need a live-action cartoon distraction from the modern world, do yourself a favor and go watch this underrated gem. If... I have extra words. What should I do with them? So as I mentioned, I got the chance to sit down with my friend Donato and talk about stage magic. Donato's been practicing like close-up stage magic for over a decade now, and it just really shows. It, I can't begin to stress what it's like to see this guy just all of a sudden make... small watermelon appear on the table in front of him out of his bare hands like he can palm things bigger than his own head I'm not exaggerating I'm so excited that I got to record a conversation talking with him about stage magic and sort of what it means to him and some of his philosophies about it fair warning he has very strong opinions about which books to read but I think you'll still enjoy this a lot in addition to being a magician Donato is also a master storyteller and a keen observer of audiences. Like Donato can watch a crowd and just feel them in a way so many performers cannot. I I'm just a little giddy that I get to share this look into this world with all of you. So, this is my chat with Donato Faragat. <laughs> For the benefit of my listeners who may not know you, could you sort of briefly descri- like give your name and a description of what you do, and we'll go from there.
2: Sure. Um, my name is Donato Fargate. Uh, I sometimes go by um, Dune, as, and I'm a magician. I generally street perform, but I also do parlor magic. And as a way, I've been doing a lot of mentoring and teaching for other magicians.
0: Cool, and I'm glad that you brought up that you're a magician because that's what I was hoping to talk to you about on the podcast today. Now, obviously, you can't do a lot of demonstration. Do you have any audio-only magic tricks? Um, not at the moment. <laughs> that would be great, though. I have. I've read about guys like back in the. But like back in the twenties and thirties, who would do radio magic? Like they would do mentalism. Yes. Over the radio, like like Dunninger, would was like famous for doing mentalism over the radio, which is just like insane. Yeah. Like like. I don't even I don't even know where to start putting something like that together. But granted, like we're not surrounded by radio. There's you know. Yeah. I would know how to do a magic show on YouTube. Yeah. But. It's,
2: I mean, that was their venue back then and it was like an untapped market and, right. you know, he, he saw it and went for it, you know he, he was
0: like the YouTube star of like the 1920s basically like the like, I mean magicians and media, the the famous thing about uh, Houdini is, if he was there's, there's like some story about uh, about a thing he would do is like if he was on his way home and he passed a building that was on fire, he would, like, make the cabbie stop, get out, and go announce his presence to, like, the whatever police officer or whoever was, like, in charge of the scene so that in the newspaper the next day it would say, and Houdini was also there. <laughs> it's like... Like, such a jackass, but also at the same time, like... Well, it worked.
2: Houdini, like, isn't he pretty much the most famous magician of all times? Right.
0: Like... I mean, we're still talking about him. Yeah.
2: He's I, even a phrase. Like, you yeah. know, you still hear people t- today say, uh, I'm going to pull a Houdini and get out of this. No joke. I mean, yeah, I've heard people true. say it and I just laugh. It's just, it's just crazy.
0: I mean, and like his presence is de- like, can still be felt. I mean, I have like three books with his name in the title that aren't even about him specifically. Yeah. Which is just, that's wild to think about so what is it about magic that appeals to you
2: to me it's the in a way it's the structure and the practice um and just making it the perfection and the knowledge like because we are as magicians we are scholars in a way because we even like read books differently than most people which is kind of different like people don't even really realize it and most magicians don't even realize it is that we read books like we read encyclopedias is that you like research a a certain idea and just go through it and but a lot of people don't even realize is that you can take that and apply that to normal life if if you're not a magician is -hmm. that if you have like an interest you just research a books or all your books of that specific interest for us it could be the egg bag which is just a magic trick right and we'd go through all of our books that have to do with egg bags but if you're interested in uh like bonds or something like that you can research everything to do with bonds which is just i don't know that's why uh, i I think like part of the reason i love magic is that it's like this hidden society and so much of it is connecting to society Mm -hmm. and people don't even know about it it's like you have this upper hand.
0: Yeah, what's it's it's sort of like there's there's this vast body of knowledge that's been put together in a very ad hoc fashion, because some of it is written down and some of it isn't, and some of it's like oral tradition and and some of it is just people messing around and sort of going, oh, I think this works. You know, like you read about Di Vernon and. Charlie Miller
3: mm-hmm.
0: sessioning for for like fifteen hours straight, or sometimes longer. Yep. And it's like they weren't looking things up in books; they were just like holding cards in their hands and going, "I wonder what this does. I wonder what this does." Yeah. Which uh, that's something that I see in a lot of art forms. Like you can tell the difference between someone who has just learned a series of things by rote from a book or a video or something. And someone who has spent time with the objects in their hands and gone, but I could do this. Even if they're using a move that's the same as a move described in a book, if they found it organically through, like, a relationship with the object.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: So, I, I want, that thing you said, though, about how magicians read books differently, like, can you... Elaborate? Elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah. Um,
2: I see it that... <sighs> like we we have this natural like hunger for knowledge when you first get into magic especially until the uh you know a few years in and sometimes it just never goes away you're constantly hunger you have a constant hunger for more mm-hmm. and this more and the more you know about magic and like the you know different nuances and different ways to do things you may know um a hundred ways to do uh, to control a card from uh to the top of the deck But the more you know, you may only perform one, but the more you know makes you a better card magician, Right. You just handle the cards better because you have the practice. You have the, you know, and when I'm talking about like reading magic, that's something that I personally like tell people when I mentor people, when I, you know, uh, help people is that I found this in a lot of like almost self-help books in a way mm-hmm. is that when you're doing self-analysis about yourself and things like that is that a lot of people they talk about like reading a lot of books but you, you don't necessarily have to read a book from cover to cover i i mean as a magician and most magicians have libraries because right. right? we're technically scholars and it's about knowledge and mm-hmm. you use that knowledge in your show and it's and i i've can guarantee you that I've read every book in my library. Do I know every single thing in every single book? No. But it's kind of an illusion that a lot of people come uh generally from novels is that you have to read a book from cover to cover. You don't. Right. It's you, you know, a lot of the information may not have anything to do with you. And I'm talking about like with especially with magic books, they're all about it's like reading a textbook. You yeah. may read a textbook and you may not care about something in there and it's not going to help you so you can just skip over it until you're ready for that item and so you just go back to it, it you know the idea is that you go back to your books mm-hmm. like i i have like a decent amount of magic books but i read them all the time i go back it's like oh, okay i'm working on something for the egg bag and so i go back and grab every book to do with the egg bag and reread it that just that section but uh, that's that's you know yeah. just a description of what a
0: And that's something that I found that I do with my library as well. Like I don't know how to do all of the tricks in a given book, but I know all the tricks that are in there. Yeah. There's oftentimes these moments where, you know, you'll kind of be like, Oh, I wonder if I should go and, and maybe that would work in this situation or that, this scenario. Yeah. There's, and it, that kind of goes hand in hand with an impulse that I have. And I, I'm curious if you have it as well. This idea of solving problems, not not necessarily like like very concrete problems, but I feel like in magic there's kind of this. How do I do this in a way that doesn't do this or whatever's so, you know? It's like how do I move a card from my hand to my pocket without anybody seeing it? Absolutely. And oftentimes the best way or or whatever has nothing to do with any specific magic trick written in a book. It's just. A, a sort of a convergence of your own body awareness, your own movements, your stage personality and what you're reading from an audience. Like you you mentioned that it it changes how you interact with people in the world. There's a perception of magicians as being people who are either sad and lonely, who don't really know how to talk to other people or who are like assholes who are trying to be the smartest guy in the room in this very like <laughs> you know like the, mm-hmm. the subtext to every trick is you yeah, idiot mm-hmm. and i'm sort of curious as to your philosophy of that like where do you come from with that
2: um, i would say that to answer your question is that i would say it's right and wrong mm-hmm. i would say that it's right in that uh, a lot of people are like that but not everyone i think it's more the fact that we're as magicians i feel like every single magician i've ever met Mm -hmm. has always been missing something in their world in like their life or something um and like it's hard to describe what that is and for each person it's something different um but i feel like if you were to um it's a very difficult question i think that I want to say that like magicians really um, like there's a lot of magic like magicians who are like that but for me personally that was not the case at all. Mm-hmm. I, I definitely like when I started magic it was in high school and I just changed all my friend group and I just was kind of just missing something and I always loved magic because it was always amazing to me and I, I love the you know uh, when I started practicing, I started really falling in love with the practice and the structure and how it you know like i I would spend hours in front of a mirror and be lost in time, like you know it was just transcending it was crazy um but I eventually I ended up staying in magic because of all the people that it pulls together and it's a community and I, I feel like if you go to a magic convention so you'll find like one of the first things you find is that so many magicians are so similar they're like there's you you mm-hmm. kind of just all get along mm-hmm. for the most part
0: when and even the people you don't get along with i, I feel like unlike a lot of other fandoms like You know, like Star Wars or science fiction or um, Game of Thrones or something. I feel like with magic, it is absolutely one hundred percent a given that we all love it. Yeah. And so that's an aside. So everything else is secondary. And for most people who practice magic, it's such a deep-seated obsession in their lives that they, as long as you're into, as long as you can understand that, well, you must be able. You're fine. The you mentioned like the people that you meet like I've met some probably some of the wildest people I've ever met like I've met through magic so I'm yeah. just curious like like if you have any like particular like when you said that about the people you've met like are there particular people that you've have in mind
2: um, yeah there's certain magicians that have been like you know crazy experiences in my life definitely um, a lot of it was to street performing but mm-hmm. um, cuz i think they're probably the craziest of all but uh nothing that that's bad but uh um no but i
0: mean it takes a such a particular like type of person to to go out on the street and walk up to random strangers and be like hi can i lie to you
2: yeah yeah <laughs> that's uh it's hard but i mean it's it, i i don't know i i'm not one to sell like the the trickster aspect mm-hmm. of like let me try and fool you. You're not gonna catch me, and right. that's like what a lot of the stigma of magic is, and what you know people see magicians as. And I try to get people away from that as much as I can, um, just because I think that's better for magic. But uh, and there's a lot of magicians nowadays that are doing that, which has helped magic recently in the past, like ten years. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, yeah, but like one of one of the magicians in particular that. Um, comes to mind is a magician named grendel and he was just a very interesting guy and he took me in when i went to las vegas Uh and he taught me a lot of street performing a lot of magic we would just sit up and jam um just like you know musicians do and we just you know did magic until like ungodly hours and and we'd be performing all day and then we'd go back and do that all day all night and then be back in the you know at all like well i mean it's vegas so it's like 11 o'clock is when you go back but you're up till 4 in the a.m right right it's it's just yeah i mean but he was a different guy he was just crazy like but but he taught me a lot of things about like reading books and i already have like this idea of like going and reading books opposed from like dvds and things like that but Uh Um, he really like set the idea of the encyclopedia and what he like told me is that um, he really wanted to evolve his magic because he wasn't a particularly skillful magician but he was a good performer right and that's like a huge difference in street performing especially but um he he set out a goal for himself and he set aside seven books of what he classified as a huge like margin of all different types of magic and he was going to go through the books and read every book from cover to cover in one year uh-huh. and it was it, it was an interesting idea of my like to me and that's where i started getting books and sort of the encyclopedia idea of reading books
0: yeah that the, there there was a magi- there's a magician friend of mine down in fresno named kyle elder he's a great guy and he has a very large magic library and in, in you know, he's also a collector of, like, small-scale illusions and things mm-hmm. like that. Uh, the, and he he has a set of Tarbell, which yeah. I'm sure you're familiar with. Tarbell, for the listeners who don't know what it is, is a 8-volume or 10-volume? 8-volume set. It's an 8-volume set that is a course in magic, basically, from beginner to expert. And... I honestly, like, all the Tarbell I've looked at, it doesn't seem to be organized in any particular way. It's not like, here's the book of hanky tricks, here's the book of rope tricks. It's sort of structured, like, if you take any 50-page chunk, you could build a pretty okay show. (laughs) Which I I wonder if it was kind of written with brains like ours in mind, that kind of like to flip around and sort of dig things out. Yeah. Um, But my friend Kyle said to me, if you just sat down and read these eight books cover to cover, you would know more than 98% of magicians alive today. <laughs> and, you know, I, I think that's a little bit of an exaggeration, but yeah. it is like one of those things where th- the intensive study into a, like a, a, a small set of books is a way that people think about this. Mm-hmm which is funny because mag- all the magicians i know tend to own like five times as many books as anyone could read in a lifetime and they're like i'll get to that i'll get to that <laughs> like, oh yeah that one's great i just yeah. through it like great stuff in there
2: <laughs> you read the table of contents and you set it to the side
0: yeah. right <laughs> yeah you're like oh he does a presto change i'll check that one out you know yeah
2: <laughs> but was there a question in there <laughs>
0: oh no I, no I don't know.
2: which I mean, is a statement well it's I, more of a statement i i have the tarbell course and yeah. uh i have you read it cover to cover uh the the first few but i i pretty much know most of what's in it and which is mm. in what's in which books and things like that and um i definitely read the first four cover to cover but uh it's definitely like separated in lessons so you start with lesson one lesson two lesson three and so there's like you know, one hundred and sixty something lessons. Don't right.
0: quote me on that. But <laughs> um, there's some other magician listening to this just pulling his yeah. Head out. Like, and no, I say, there's this many. I say his because statistically, the magicians who freak out about details tend to be dudes. Yeah,
2: yeah, definitely a <laughs> guy. Yeah. But uh, yeah, no, it's it's a great uh, it's a great course. I I'm not a fan though of specifically older books i i'm more of a fan of looking at a variety of authors because authors tend to specialize in specific things just like all magicians do Mm -hmm. um and they kind of exaggerate things and they kind of you know sometimes they're just completely wrong like if you read in uh, one of gene hugard's books i mean he's a known card magician and when he talks about uh the self-tying knot he talks about oh you just put a weight in the end and you just flip it around and it just does it uh, which is not true at all because you can just you know the actual method is not that at all he just didn't even know but he put it in the book which i think is funny right (laughs) but uh you know there's i think the the variety of authors and the variety of inspiration from different magicians makes you a better magician because it makes you think uh, you, you get to see, you know, like different perspectives where, you know, Tarbell is not specifically better in yeah, I mean he was known for his rope magic is what he was mm-hmm. known for, but
0: well that that variety of perspectives in any art form is what makes a performer interesting to people outside of their field. Be, I, yes. I I think
2: yes, we, yeah. Be,
0: because like you have these magician, you know, you, you have people who are only calculating to impress the six other people who can understand <laughs> why what they're doing is impressive. Yeah. And then you have the people who are connecting with audience like large audiences. Yeah. And I, I don't think one or the other has more or less value, but generally the people who connect with the larger audiences are ones who understand the current zeitgeists at least vaguely you know, they they can make jokes about whatever is going on in the world or or things that people might be interested in, and it creates rapport and it draws people in,
3: Mm -hmm.
0: as opposed to just being like, I spent 15 years mastering this one thing while I lived in a cave in the mountains. You know, there's amazing, like, poetry of life in that, but there's also, like, there's a disconnect there. Yeah. And when you can bring in various influences, it becomes something entirely different. Like, we've all seen a million of the uh, torn and restored newspaper. Right. I've I've seen that probably a hundred times from. I just said a million and then a hundred. But, like, I've yes. I yeah, yeah. literally you, you've seen it a hundred yeah. times from yeah. dozens of magicians.
2: And every routine's different. That's what's. Yeah. You know.
0: and, but then, like, uh, I saw Christopher Hart, the hand. yeah. Um, thing from the Adam Family movies mm-hmm. and he did a version of it where there was a musical score playing and he was like tearing the musical score and every time he tore the two two halves apart the music would stop until he held them together again which is not the kind of presentation I think you would come up with if you're just reading every book that says get a newspaper, get a newspaper, get it like at some point his brain went how about something other than a newspaper Yeah. so uh, if Tarbell isn't your favorite, which is great, what, like, what would you recommend for someone who's, like, I don't know anything about magic, I want to, like, look at this, and, you know, not, like, how is this done? Because people always want to know, like, how's it done? They, they want to, like, look it up, yeah. how's it done. But, like, people who actually want to learn how to do something
2: that they can spend, show their friends. Spend the time. Yeah, it. they
0: want to spend the time, like... To perform it and not hit their head against the wall spending the time <laughs> you know doing yeah. doing something that's not going to be rewarding like do you have something that you think is particularly rewarding for a beginner
2: um well i mean it also depends on your budget like if you want to go and buy books like I, i'm a big believer in just you know choosing some of the best books and they're cheap too which is like you know some of the best books are you know dover books uh, hugard or er, i guess hugard's magic mail is pretty good but um, you know bobo's coin magic if you're doing coins and mm-hmm. um was it uh Ex- expert card Car technique by gene hugard is probably the best card book um and i will strongly uh talk about that to anybody who thinks expert at the card table is better so but uh, but to answer your question, like if someone just wants to learn general magic mm-hmm. and like modern magic, it would be an old book that I found, which it was it baffled me. I wish I had it when I first started. I would have absolutely bought it. Is um, I want to say it's oh goodness, it's by Patrick Page, mm-hmm. and it's just uh, um, I want to say it's just stand something magic, but it's probably the best book I ever read for a beginner for a magic book of general magic all kinds because i think that like when you start in magic it's better to look at all different kinds and then specialize and then branch back out so you go you know you you see everything and then you go back in and then you go back out because that way you get like a variety and you can focus in on your skills like i focused in on manipulation Mm -hmm. and then i branch back out and now i do everything again (laughs) so it's just But because of that core of manipulation is what I specialize in, I can adapt that to all my other stuff.
0: Right. Which gives you flexibility in other areas of magic that people might not have. Like, watching you perform, one of my favorite things is that because of your skill at manipulation, particularly palming, hiding things in your hands, Mm -hmm. you'll produce things at points in the show where other magicians don't usually. Like, I've seen you do that a few times where, like, a coin that's from earlier in the show will come back or something like that. As opposed to, you know, you'll kind of see a more standard, say cups and balls routine where it's like, okay, this is the point where we're switching from balls to larger fruits or potatoes or something. Yeah. But then like I saw you do, I don't think it was cups and balls, but you, you had something where you pulled something out of something that was larger than the container. Yeah. And it was just like, it, it was flabbergasting. Even yeah. though, like, I know in principle what you're doing because you have the manipulation. Yeah. Like, that's one of my, one of the reasons, like, we became friends is I just loved, like, sitting at it, like, going out for a beer with you after the farmer's market, and we're just sitting there, and all of a sudden you, like, hand me something that wasn't in your hand a second before. <laughs> and, like, that feeling, like, there, there's some magicians that create that feeling in people of, like, what (laughs) yeah and those are the magicians i like the best like you're one of those magicians our friend daniel is one of those magicians like they're just they're people who create they're they're creating a feeling more than a visual or yeah a story all the components the the talking and the 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 movements and the tricks and everything all make like a feeling Mm mm-hmm so i i want to back... say thank you
3: <laughs>
2: what yeah i'll say thank you oh you're <laughs> welcome
0: yeah. i i want to go back to what you said though about about uh gene hugard's book versus or expert at the card table so you, yeah my, what, well, card... well can i say something yeah, real quick
2: about that uh um the the feeling that's actually something that i specifically go for which is kind of interesting i was performing a, a trick that was very simple and i started performing it and i took you know took an experiment because a lot of magicians are in a way scientists Mm -hmm. you know because there's chemical magic there's all sorts of stuff like that um but we you know we test things out and we actually like you know have controls and like okay this day we're gonna do this and try it out and i performed uh, a routine where i perform a gift i i produce a gift for someone and it's an interesting story and it created this moment that i never had in magic which it just amazed me um and it was just this moment where people weren't like not a single person says like whoa how did you do that that was amazing instead they said uh they said specifically to me they're like wow thank you and they just thanked me and they they were just you know and i i i took that feeling and um and a lot of my magic nowadays, I, I try and go for that more feeling. I try and get a specific response, which I don't think a lot of magicians think about. Mm-hmm. If you try and get a specific response, it'll change the way you look at your magic, which is great for creativity.
0: That's so true. There's probably people like taking notes <laughs> now. <laughs> Hopefully. So I, I, I want to get back to that thing you said a few minutes ago about uh, Gene Hugard's... It's, it's, yeah. Modern card technique is the Ex- name of the, expert card technique. Expert card technique by Gene Hugard versus uh, expert at the card table by Erdnase Yes, because I know that this is like a thing with magicians and I'm so curious. Oh like, yeah. So so hit me like give me give me the straight the straight the straight uh, the straight talk. I don't okay. Know if, well, I don't know what I'm uh, saying. Well well. Every <laughs> give t- me the talk, Donato.
2: Every time I go to conventions or anything like that, there's always magicians and they're always doing the same card cheating. Bear with me, crap. I, I I I don't. I'm not a fan of <laughs> cartoon stuff. It's great. It could be entertaining. Um, there's a, there's a certain place for it, absolutely. But they'll be doing uh, you know second deals and bottom deals and uh, you know manipulating the cards in amazing ways, and they can do amazing stuff. And uh, it, it it's beyond my skill with cards, uh, which is saying a lot because I'm actually pretty good with cards. Um, even though I don't perform a lot of card magic anymore, but uh, I will talk to them about card magic and it baffles me when they say expert at the card uh, expert at the card table by um, wh- 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 SW Erdnase yeah, SW Erdnase sorry, it is totally spaced it's all right. uh, I-, I have read the book, uh-huh. believe it or not I have read the book and I just like people. I, I'm always baffled Uh, why they think it's so it's like the bible they consider it literally the bible just like bobos is the co is the bible of coin magic right they they think it's the bible and i i laugh at them because i talked about expert car technique and most people have never even read it which is hilarious but when i first started a, a magician recommended to me gene hugard and so i bought his books and that's uh the the main difference that i found was that um Expert card technique is only about, like, what, 50 pages? and
0: Something like that, yeah.
2: Expert at the card table is about 50 pages. Yeah. Expert card technique is, like, 250. So right. it's, like, it's like five times the amount of material.
0: And that's just my case.
2: <laughs>
0: it's just... Yeah, well, like, I mean, I have a copy of the Expert at the card table sitting over there. Yeah. But I, I find it to be... I I don't... I mean, maybe there's probably people who are going to just hate me for this, but, like, (laughs) I have a hard time learning things from it. Yeah. Like, I learned my three-card Monty from it. Like, the basics of that. But there's something in the way it's worded and, like, explained that doesn't quite connect. Mm -hmm. Which, getting back to your thing about, like, find other authors and other books, like, just because, like, there's... Um... There's a magician called Handsome Jack. who I I had never heard of until I... Saw his book at my buddy's house, and I learned a bunch of tricks out of there because the way his hands are drawn and shown, it, you know, the, the illustrations in that book made sense to my brain. Yeah. In a way that the illustrations in Expert at the Card Table do not. I, th- I think, and this ties in with my chief interest in magic, which is like history. Because Di Vernon constantly preached Expert at the Card Table to people. I think that's why it's still to this day like such a thing, mm-hmm. um, and also like there's that whole like sunk cost fallacy thing where like people are like, well, it took me this much time to learn tricks out of this because it doesn't. It's a difficult book. Yeah. So I earned these. So other people should have to earn these, and it's like they should. <laughs> it should be hard.
2: Like. <laughs> and I, I, well, I would just throw Newton at them. Is uh, we all stand on the shoulders of giants, and magicians above all. You know, that's Sir Isaac Newton said yeah. that, but, um, that magicians above all take that because yeah. not a single magic trick in, I would say, you know, so many years have ever been created because it's all been created before. We're just revamping it. We're just adapting a different principle, adapting a different, it's all the same. Yeah. We're all like, t- whether we know it or not, we're taking inspiration from something else.
0: I just read uh, Alex Stone's Fooling Houdini, Yeah, and in it he says, if you want to fool magicians, you're not going to do it with a new trick that you learned from a video or a DVD. You're going to do it with an old trick from a 150-year-old pamphlet that some guy (laughs) self-published.
2: Yeah, (laughs) that's that's pretty much true. And the addendum
0: to that, uh, I was talking with my friend Kyle about this, and he said, Usually, you'll fool other magicians by doing some, like, math trick self-working card gimmick. <laughs> yep, that's about right. Which, like, having done a couple of those can confirm. Yeah. So, uh, as we wrap this up, thank you so much for taking the time to chat about magic with me. Like, I can do this for hours. and Me we're already <laughs> way, Way past the time that I thought that uh, this podcast recording session would go. You will, of course, hear a little bit more from Donato at the end of the program, but for now, let's move on to our next segment. Here's a thought. In last week's episode, I talked about King of Thieves, an arguably bad film, which you can go watch right now on Amazon Streaming. I say arguably because when researching its appearance on last week's episode, I found out that it holds a pretty low score on Rotten Tomatoes slash IMDb slash etc. To be clear, I don't consider this a great film. That's not what my hokey fright section on the podcast is for. Rather, it's a place I recommend stuff from off the beaten track that might be interesting if viewed through the right lens. Which is how I saw King of Thieves for the first time. The movie was recommended to me by exactly nobody and I'd never heard of it before I typed the words heist movie into Amazon streaming. I did this with the intention that I would just watch the first film I'd never heard of. To find a film starring the likes of Michael Caine and Jim Broadbent? All the better. I'm not gonna lie, I genuinely enjoyed most of the film as I watched it alone in the room I rented a punk house. It paired well with the huevos rancheros I'd cooked for my supper, and even better with the chocolate chip cookies I'd baked halfway through. So here's the central question I'm getting at. Does our enjoyment of media suffer when it's filtered through the lens of others' opinions? We live in an age where it's entirely possible to spend more time engaging with the discourse about media than the media itself. Case in point, Avengers Endgame is a hair over three hours long. I've seen it twice for a total of six hours and change of Endgame time. I've probably spent almost an equal amount of time listening to podcast discussions about it, reading interviews with the writers, actors, and directors, and even one evening last week when I ate too many Takis and fell down a meme hole. Seriously, though, Takis are amazing. I might have to do a whole episode just on Takis. And all of that doesn't even factor in the time I've spent picking the film apart in person with other fans. King of Thieves received none of this. In fact, I would not be at all surprised to find that my podcast is the only one giving it any mention. I came into the film cold, with no expectations, and I enjoyed myself therein. It's a phenomenon I've noticed more and more lately. The things I come into cold, even if they prove to be of a lesser quality, tend to connect with me more than the things I've spent weeks, months, or even years building up to. I need more coffee. Hokey Fright! Have you heard about VeggieTales? This was some sort of Christian answer to Pixar. A company called Big Idea Productions made a series of direct-to-video shows – episodes were usually about 30 minutes – portraying short morality plays or retelling Bible stories. The hook? The show starred a cast of sentient vegetables. Like, they hopped around, had no hands, but wore hats, and had hair sometimes. One of them had a monocle for reasons that were never fully explained. I feel like this is the kind of thing that if you've never heard of it, it would just beggar the imagination. And let's be honest, unless you grew up in an evangelical Christian or your dad happened to be the distribution guy for a video store, you probably never heard of these things. It sounds like something a bunch of stone friends would make up. Hey, man. What if there was a show (laughs) full of talking vegetables and like, they were selling you Jesus and stuff. They did episodes that were extended, I don't feel like it's right to call them parodies, pastiches, of popular shows from 30 years prior. So there was a Star Trek episode where they flew around in the USS Apple Pies, a faithful recreation of the USS Enterprise with the saucer section replaced with a giant steaming apple pie. They also made a Gilligan's Island episode, complete with a helicopter made out of coconuts, and, of course, an extended Lord of the Rings riff. To cap all of this madness off, they regularly had at least two catchy-as-all-H-E-double-hockey-sticks musical numbers. I'm almost not ashamed to report that I can still sing many of them from memory, even though I doubt I've seen an episode of the show in nearly 20 years. So can my little sister. Songs like His Cheeseburger, a love song to a fast food burger, Everybody's Got a Water Buffalo, wherein the singer keeps trying to sing that everyone has a water buffalo when in fact everyone does not have a water buffalo, and the self explanatorily titled Oh Where Is My Hairbrush. I may need to do an entire episode of this podcast about VeggieTales someday. If you're a big VeggieTales fan and you'd like to guest star on the podcast, please get at me. I would love to talk to somebody who grew up with this the same way that I did. Oh, my goodness. And don't even get me started on Big Idea Productions' other show, 321 Penguins, which was a confusing mashup of Buzz Lightyear and those penguins from Madagascar, the latter of which it predated by a significant margin. I don't I don't know how this, how this exists. I'm not saying it's good but at least now you know about it. Song of the Week, Father Grumble, from the Alan Lomax Collection, The Folk Songs of North America. Oftentimes on this podcast, I'm going to do covers of traditional North American folk tunes from this book, Folk Songs of North America by Alan Lomax. Alan Lomax was this Ethnomusicologist who, who was sort of an anthropologist of music. He he and his father and some of his uh, fellow uh, I don't know ethnomusicologists. That's such a like a mouthful of a term. But but they were people who studied folk culture through music. They traveled all over North America and collected thousands of songs. They recorded them. If you've ever heard of of people like Robert Johnson, Lead Belly. Burl Ives or Pete Seeger, it's because Alan Lomax recorded these folks and sort of introduced them to a wider audience. Honestly, like, uh, do yourself a favor, go listen to some of these Lomax recordings. They are just heart stoppingly beautiful. I have this book with the sheet music for a lot of these old traditional North American folk tunes, and I've just always wanted an excuse to learn them and sort of represent them. In my own style on accordion, so that's what I've done here. So this week's is a song called "Father Grumble," which comes out of sort of the American colonial period, uh, Jamestown and the Plymouth Colony, etc., where due to the necessities of founding a colony, women had a lot of responsibility, and in some cases, I guess were sort of viewed a little bit more uh, as a little bit more useful to their male counterparts than they were back in the old world, which prompted some songwriters to remark upon it and go, wow, like women around here sure do a lot of work. It's kind of staggering to the imagination that like the amount of work women must've been doing that men at the time found it notable. Like, I mean, obviously women can do a lot. Like that's not up for debate in the realm of my show, but like, to have people in the, the 16 and 1700s go, wow, these women are working hard. Like, to have it be noticeable. There, the Lomax book has excerpts from men's diaries at the time going, I don't know how my wife gets it done. I couldn't get it done. Like, I wouldn't be able to do all the things she does in a single day, in a in a, a week. Like, there, there, are, there are contemporary diaries saying that. So this song sort of grows out of that way of thinking. Anyway... Enough rambling from me. This is Father Grumble.
1: There was an old man who lived in a wood, as you can plainly see, who said he could do more work in a day than his wife could do in three. If that be so, the old woman said, why this you must allow. You shall do my work for a day while I go drive the plow. But that's not all she said. You must milk the tiny cow for fear she should go dry. And you must feed the little pigs that are within the Die. And you must watch our bracket hen lest she should go astray. And you must wind the reel of yarn that I wound yesterday. The old woman took his staff in her hand and went to drive the plow. The old man took the pail in his hand and went to milk the cow. But Tiny hitched, and Tiny flinched, and Tiny cocked her nose. And Tiny hit the old man such a kick, his blood ran down to his toes. Twas here my good cow, and now my good cow, and now good cow stand still. If ever I milk this cow again, he said, twill be against my will. He milked the tiny cow for fear she should go dry. Why then he fed the little pigs that were within the sky. got the reel of yarn. His wife spun yesterday. He swore by all the leaves on the tree and all the stars in heaven that his wife could do.
0: That was Father Grumble. I hope you enjoyed it. I am going to have that song stuck in my head for the next couple of weeks. Mailbag. Hey, folks, I love the old fashioned post. If you've got a question for me you'd like to hear answered on the podcast, or you've got a strange taxidermied rat you don't know what to do with, or maybe you just want to get rid of a couple of extra $100 bills, send that stuff to Strangely, 1000 Harris Avenue, Bellingham, Washington nine eight two two five number twenty one i look forward to hearing from you thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of strangely and friends the podcast this podcast is produced at sonic suitcase studios in fiscally responsible Fairhaven, washington sonic suitcase studios is located in the morgan block building part of the people's land trust This podcast is made possible by my incomparable supporters on Patreon. Check out patreon.com slash strangely to find out how you can help me make more of whatever this is. There's also behind the scenes content sometimes and all the original song recordings that I'm making for the podcast I've uploaded as just individual songs up there for my patrons. At some point, I'll collect all the songs into a downloadable bandcamp sort of thing. So if you're a patron of mine on Patreon, you'll get access to that. Strangely and Friends, the podcast is a Herringbone Society production. And finally, here's a joke from Donato, which... If you've heard this one before, and you can see the punchline coming a mile away, you know, your mileage may vary, but it really does get to the core of Donato's abilities as a storyteller and just the way Donato can sort of pull you into a world with excessive extra details that just really make it. I don't know why I'm telling you all this. Anyway, here's the joke. What What is a joke you like to tell? I always I always ask my guests to tell a joke. Do you have a joke you would like to tell us?
2: Um, yeah, yeah, I, I, I have a decent joke. I'll tell you my favorite joke because okay. it's i learned this the other day from er it was a little bit ago but uh it's one of my favorite jokes so a tourist was backpacking to the highlands of scotland mm-hmm. and he came into um he stopped at a pub for a drink it's a nice hot day and he walks into the bar and there's only a, the bar the barkeep behind the bar and an old man nursing a beer sitting at the bar and he sits down and he um they sit in silence for a while orders a pint then the old man turns to him and he says, You see this bar, lie? I built this bar with my bare hands. Found the finest wood in the county. Gave it more love and care than I did my own child. But do they call me McGregor, the bar builder? No. <laughs> he points out the window. You see that stone wall out there? built that stone wall with my bare hands found every stone and placed it just so through the rain and the cold but do they call me mcgregor the stone wall builder no he points out the other window you will see that pier out there i found that i built that pier with my bare hands placed the pilings to the sand at the tide plank by plank do they call me McGregor, the
1: pier builder? No.
0: But you're f- one goat. <laughs> I knew it was coming, and still it's funny. <laughs> Thank you so much.
2: Thank you, strangely. <laughs>